Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Richard, what's up, man? My brother from another mother. How are you? <laughs> dude, I'm doing good, man. I, I'm so sorry about last week. I had some crazy stuff go down, but dude, I'm so glad that we're doing this. And I'm so glad that you do uh, what you do just based on the work that I've seen, man doing is uh is extremely valuable to people who um who really need it man so i uh, thank you for doing what you do too well like thank you so much guys welcome to another episode of vertical momentum where i talk to game game changers and thoughts leaders and mark is definitely both of them he's got something that i guess he dropped within the last couple of days and we're going to be talking about that um he's got one of the top podcasts in the world so it's my honor to have you come on and and I know you're going to be able to teach us some things. And, you know, even though I'm a 52 year old, old guy, <laughs> I'm, I'm always willing to learn and humble myself and teach and learn from people that have been there and done that. So how are you doing my friend? You know, man, I, I've never been better. I've, uh, you know, just like everybody I've been on my own like journey throughout COVID and all the changes. And, um, you know, I'm back, I'm more connected with my purpose now than ever. And so I'm really grateful to, uh, to, to be here and, um, and like to be on your great podcast, you know, that, that speaks with, you know, people like in the military, it's such an important role in our society that, um, you know, for, I don't know, for back a letter word has really been like neglected. And, 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 you know, I have a different friends of mine who have been in the military, who are, who are veterans and, uh, it's definitely, you know, with what's going on, it's definitely a big problem in terms of physical health, in terms of mental health. And, uh, and yeah, man, for me, I, I try my best to focus on mental health, social anxiety. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I mean, I've made like millions of dollars, but to me, what really gets me passionate and going is mental health because I've been in a spot in my life where I've had all the money that I wanted to, but on the inside, there was something that was, I would say wrong. And I never really understood that. And I just thought that working hard and, and brute forcing your way uh, makes sense. But the reality is, is that there are so many people around the world who are not lazy, who actually work extremely hard, who have a lot of talent, who are really intelligent, but are actually suffering because they are not taught the right way. They're not taught the right path from people in the military to entrepreneurs to all kinds of people. And so, yeah, man, I'm good. I don't even know what you asked me, but that's what I'm passionate about, you know? <laughs> okay. So let me ask, we're going to, you know, I, I've told, talked to a lot of people and I said, they're going to have, I was going to have you on and they were pumped, but what, some of the questions that they, they came back from, they, they want to know the man behind, behind the microphone. So mm -hmm. they want to know about little Mark. So tell us, what, yeah. tell us what Mark was like coming up as a child. That's a great question, Richard. Um, so for me, I'm the son of uh, my parents who immigrated to America from Egypt, and we moved to Massachusetts, and I was born here in America. And, uh, you know, I was always like an interesting kid. I always like collected baseball cards. And for me, in terms of my story, where it gets really interesting is I remember moving from kind of the inner city to a small town in um, that had like five, 6,000 people. 
And the really interesting part uh, about this town was that uh, obviously there was a lot of amazing people in that town, but um, it had a small town. I don't know how to call it. It's, it had a small town mentality. And also at the same time, I remember going to this to, to a school and being like in second, third grade and basically experiencing uh, racism for the first time in my life, just because my skin color was different than everybody else. And in that time, I really faced issues from, you know, bullying, which then led me to face other physical health issues as a kid, like asthma, issues with my appendix, uh, insomnia, all sorts of issues. And that really led me to having social anxiety, which, which means that I could never be myself in front of anyone, which means it's sort of from the, you know, normal shyness that a lot of people go to, to what I would describe as almost like a virus that has controlled and invaded your software and your hardware inside of your brain, that even if you want to do something, your brain doesn't let you and so that was my life for the longest time. And um, I was just like on that kid. I was just that kid on the computer. And so I remember trying to make friends online when I was a kid. I remember starting different online businesses. That made me financially successful. And by the time I was like 18 years old, I was like, okay, I have all this money, but I'm literally so depressed. I can't talk to people. I don't have any real friends. And unfortunately, it got worse from there. Next thing I knew... I became obese. I gained a tremendous amount of weight in a short time. Next thing I knew, I was severely depressed. I just couldn't wake up in the morning and get out of bed. Next thing I knew, I wasn't sleeping until it was like 3, 4 a.m. at night. I just couldn't get myself to sleep. And next thing I knew, my lifelong social anxiety that I always had all of a sudden becomes social isolation. And I just stopped talking to people. And the way that this story you know, kind of ends is... I basically started to contemplate suicide and I had this period of about like three weeks, three, four weeks in 2015 where I was living in Boston at the time and I would, I was living in a, a there was a, a neighboring city that uh, let's just say wasn't very nice. It had a lot of crime, a lot of shootings. And I remember what I would do is I just felt like my brain was broken. I was in so much pain. I just didn't know what to do. And so what I would do is I would go for these walks late at night and I would just hope for someone to walk up to me and kill me and try to mug me or something. And along those walks, I started to listen to podcasts. Um, I started to also get in touch with sort of this inner silence that I had been neglecting and trying to distract my entire self. And, you know, really I just started to experienced life in a different way. And it really took me for me to hit that rock bottom to really see like, wow, Mark, if you don't change things around, you're going to be a statistic. You're going to end up, you know, being one of those people who gets claimed in the one out of 800,000 people who kill themselves every single year. And so it was a very long and grueling and slow process, but it really was this process of me rewiring my brain, rewiring my mind, trying to get my physical, my mental health, my spiritual health, my relationships together. And yeah, it's, you know, it's been taking on many different evolutions. I started different businesses, podcasts in the process, but that's really, you know, my story and the, the most important things worth mentioning. So what was, you know, because like I'm, I'm going back because I, I can relate so much. And now I also have a, a child now he's in high 
first year college, he's kicking ass and taking names. But he was also he's nice. also he's on the spectrum, and he also had a lot mm. of social anxieties and stuff like that. And I had a lot of social anxieties as a child. So now, what was um, the come to Jesus moment where you were like, "All right, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired." And what was the first steps, actual steps that you took to start changing into the man that you are today? Yeah. So one of the first steps was, um, you know, I remember on on one of those walks that I kind of mentioned, I remember there was this one time where I wasn't listening to anything on my phone. I wasn't looking at my phone. Uh, there were no cars in the street. There was nobody walking. And I had this moment where it almost kind of felt like I heard silence for the first time in my life. And I remember hearing this sense of silence. And I remember for the first time, it was almost as if I I could listen to what was going on inside of my mind. And when I did that, all of a sudden, I became very consciously aware of all the things that I was telling you in terms of like, uh, you know, me thinking that I had a very low sense of confidence, very low sense of self-esteem, that I would, you know, never end up anywhere in life, that I was just always going to be judged by everybody. And so when I had this moment of silence, I could sort of listen to my thoughts for the first time. And I remember listening to them and being like, wait, what? Like, that's, that's not me, is it? And really, Richard, what I realized in that moment And then after like doing scientific research and talking with other people is that the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day on average. And a lot, most of us, we don't even know that we're thinking, you know, this many thoughts. Some of these thoughts are conscious. Some of them are unconscious. And so what I've learned is that when you are young, your brain and your mind is very uh, aware and is very sort of more receptive to taking on your thoughts and the behaviors from other people as your own. And so I remember for me, when I was a kid and I was facing bullying and racism and people told me that, you know, I I should leave this place. I didn't belong here, that, you know, everyone hates me, that I'm never going to end up anywhere, that I'm going to spend the rest of my life working at McDonald's. I could see that for the first time consciously we were in my head and it turns out what happens is your brain picks these things up and then it repeats them to you in your own voice. It internalizes these opinions from other people and it repeats it to you in your own voice. And so for me, when I had that moment in the middle of the night and I could hear my own thoughts, I was like, wait, what? And that was really sort of the the, the glimmer that then began to trigger my intellectual curiosity to be like, wait, like how does this how does this even work? And that just led me to learn more about the mind, the brain, mental health, how our thoughts, how our emotions work. And so that was like the first sort of like realization aha that I had that maybe I do have some control over my life and there are some things that I can start doing. But that was like the first sort of like aha insight that I had. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people now. I have like 250 episodes and I've talked to some seven figure earners and a lot of them you know they talk about you know money but they also talk about quality of life so at at one time in your life you were so poor that you only had money Mm. and you 
really have a life. So talk to us about having that, you know, like you said, you know, you had the money, but you were so lonely and you were so wrapped up inside yourself. So what was that like? Because a lot of people are like, oh, well, once I make the top 100 podcaster or once I make a million dollars, I'm going to be happy. And, you know, and you get people like Robin Williams, you know, committing suicide, singer from Lincoln Park. They, you think you, they have it all together and then they end up hanging. So, yeah. what was, you know, what was it like, you know, having that money, but still being miserable? Yeah. Well, you know, it was literally so confusing. Like, like it literally confused me and it, and it probably made my anxiety a lot worse because, you know, like similar to what you said, I had no idea what success meant. And when you don't define that yourself, you just automatically pick that up from the people around you. And, you know, I grew up poor and I had no money. And so I thought, you know, the thing that I don't have, once I get it, then, you know, that'll, that'll help me. And so when I, you know, got that money, it just made me so much more confused. And I spent like a period of like two, three years where I just was really lost and just wandering. And I was just trying to figure out life and success. And, and this is a very common story, Richard. And, and like, for example, I have clients of mine who are CEOs of companies who do, who do like $500 million of like revenue a year. They're extremely successful. They have great families. Um, their physical health is in touch, but then their, their, their mental health and sort of how they get through each day in, when it comes to themselves inside mentally, emotionally speaking, it, it is really almost like someone just trying to, you know, fix something in real time. And, and a lot of times it causes them a lot of pain. And so what I would say is unless you are taught or unless you have an experience of the way that you want to live your life, what you're going to do just naturally speaking is you're just going to begin to chase things to compensate for who you are. And so that could be money, that could that could be anything. It could be going to the gym and getting ripped. That could be you know getting the best grades at school. There are so many different what I would say um, masks of uh, of fake confidence that I definitely had in my life that really just leave you more empty every single day that you're in them. And and eventually you get to this point if you're as lucky as maybe I am to where you're really like I, I just can't do this anymore. And I have to, instead of thinking that I have all the answers, instead of just, you know, waking up every morning and doing the same thing, let me try to learn. Let me try to understand, like, what is the science out there saying? Um, what are people who are doing this for a living that are practitioners? Like, what are they doing? What have they been getting results for other people? And so, you know, it, it could be money for some people. It could be physical looks. There's so many different ways that we try to compensate this sort of sense of not just intrinsic happiness, but what I would even say, the the framework of how our brain works, which is mental health. Because I've met a lot of happy people where their brain forces them to be miserable because they either don't know or are neglecting some very real factors about their mental health. And that's what I would say I was. Like I was a I grew up as a nice kid. My parents taught me the right things. But I just thought that there was something sort of inherently, you know, wrong with me. And it's just because I never learned these things about mental health and how our brain actually works inside out versus, 
you know, just sort of trying to say, chase this empty sense of happiness that you're probably not even, you know, going to get to through money or, or through other things. Not saying that money and these things don't contribute to your sense of happiness, but I, I've lived, to, I've lived through it. And, and really what I would say, Richard, is I wrote this article that people can Google. And if you type in on Google, uh, why success is the ultimate trap. And that article really just contains everything in a much more detailed way that I've said on how our first definition of success in life is often not the real definition of success that we truly yearn for. And so that's a great question, Richard. A lot of people experience this and, and they have struggles all around this. So thank okay, you. Now, you know, one thing that I love, you know, like I've been in recovery now 32 years, clean and sober. And, um, mm. but I didn't start feeling better about myself until I helped others. And mm -hmm. it seems like your story is you started getting better mentally when you also started helping others. And, you know, I believe that, you know, I cannot, ha I cannot keep what I cannot freely give away. Mm. So talk to us about how you started to saying, you know what, maybe if I'm struggling with this, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are out there that are struggling with the same thing. And how did that help you when you started telling your story and other people would get in touch with you like, wow, you know, I'm struggling with that same thing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, man, amazing questions. So I would say it's, I think it's two sides of the coin. I think the first half is you saying to yourself like, um, and, and this isn't either or, you can do this in the process, but I think it's saying to yourself like, hey, how can I get out of my own way so that I can help people to the best of my ability? But then also at the same time, sometimes helping people can teach you that as well. And like, there's this quote by Gandhi, that says, lose yourself in the service of others. And that's what I've learned. Like, if you're going to lose yourself in anything, it should be in the service of others. But honestly, I feel like I have been trying to help people my entire life, but I've, I, I didn't get far. And it wasn't until I sort of took a step back and I was like, hey, let me do what I can and control what I can control first and take responsibility for my individual self, work on myself for six months a year. And then what I found after that is then it's like that two-part equation of putting it out there in the world. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest things that's been so rewarding, Richard, is that, you know, people will look at the different successes that I have with my podcast and these different titles and accolades. But honestly, none of those give me happiness. But what does give me happiness is understanding that I'm a walking signpost of the embodiment of all of my values, whether that's in real life with my family members and, the, and my friends who have known me for years and the people who have never even met me. And, you know, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be in a position as to where like my podcast, my content stuff has literally reached tens of millions of different people. And honestly, like at least once a week, I get an email from someone who literally writes out like a, like a three page letter to me detailing their life and their experiences. And then in, all of a sudden they listen to a podcast episode that I recorded in like 2017 or 2018. And then it triggered this entire path that they're on. And then they tell me like the craziest things of like, like, dude, you, you helped me get my brain back. You helped me not kill myself. And so 
the fact that I get to experience that and that's a part of my normal life is like one of the most, uh, you know, I would say it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. And it's really what I would say. It's the second part of the equation that makes life worth living. That That is the reason why I've written a book or have a podcast. It's not really about me. It's about helping other people. And so what I would say is if you're in a really you know bad spot, sometimes you you do need to go help someone else to get out of your perspective. But also sometimes you need to pause and you need to say, hey, can I do things? Can I help myself first? And then once you do that and you do that consistently, then helping other people is, is really what makes it worth it. It's really what makes it meaningful. And and you know, for someone like me who has lived with social anxiety and speaks on social anxiety, this is something that is very, very hard for people with social anxiety to do because they have this common, um, what I would say, brain injury that leads to mental health problems of, of their brain basically tricking them into thinking that everyone hates them and is judging them and is mocking them and they should never show themselves to the world. And so for people in that bucket, maybe they do need to work a little bit on their mind, but but yeah, I couldn't agree with more with you. And I'm I'm so grateful. And I'm also grateful, you know, you you've been helping people um, that have given a lot to our country and our society um, from many different perspectives and and places where they come from. So that's a great question. Thank you. Okay, so I got a question now. Um, how do you stay humble? You know, um, like you've been on 250 plus podcasts. <laughs> you've been everywhere and you know, then you're still willing to come on a little show like mine where I've had people say, you know, we're not going to come on your show. It's not big enough. But then somebody like yourself, you know, graces us to be able to hang out with us. So what keeps you humble and grounded? It's a great question. So number one is number one is people have taken chances on me and on my podcast. And so what I mean by that is like, I know that if I dedicate like an hour of my time towards this, um, for all I know, like 12 years from now, if this podcast is still up, some random person in the world might listen to me in this message. And it might be like at the right exact time in their life to where they hear this message and it begins to trigger a change in their life. And, and that to me, I just view it as like a responsibility um, because that's what happened to me in my life. And that's one of, that's one of the reasons why I'm still alive today. And so I really feel like personally for me, I've been given like a second chance at life from, from God and, and the universe. And so I have understood the value of just one person listening to you. And honestly, for me, that 60 minutes of me spending my time is, is absolutely worth it. Um, the second thing too, is that, what I've learned is that um, the and this I'm just I'm sort of generalizing here, but I've met a lot of people that are way more successful than me, like way more successful than me in many different ways. Truly successful, they're happy, um, they're doing the right things that make them happy in their life, and they're humble. And so for me, it's like, wait, if I just if I just like hung out with like Will Smith's producer. And he's like the most humble person. Who am I to not be humble? Right. And so there's that. And the third thing that I would say is I've learned that everybody has issues. Everyone has problems. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't have a problem 
or an issue. And so I think knowing that has helped teach me, um, hey, we've all got problems. And it's not about you trying to look better than the other person. It's just about, hey, how can I humanize myself? How can I get the most sort of real authentic human out of me so that the message and the time that people are taking right now to listen to this podcast, it's actually worth it for them. Um, and then the other part too is like, that's like a strength that I have is like going up from someone who has social anxiety of like, I, I've had so many, like a decade of my life of me thinking so badly about myself that like being humble. I mean, I'm sure there's definitely moments where I'm maybe, too, you know, too, too egoic and I'm maybe overly confident, but that's an issue that I honestly don't have. If, if anything, I have the opposite issue where I sometimes will not necessarily feel humble. Um, and like, a, for example, a mentor of mine has told me having humility, being humble is the ultimate sign of strength because it shows other people that you don't need anything from them. And so that's also something that I try to do. Um, but, uh, but for me, what I was saying is I think if anything, I have the opposite issue where sometimes I feel like I, I won't, uh, you know, step into my power. I won't step into my confidence and I'll be too humble. Um, and so there's different things that I've done. Like for example, um, I have this folder on my computer, on my Google drive that I can look at either on my phone or my computer. And it's basically this folder where I take a screenshot of every single message of every single email that someone has sent to me where it said that something that I did has changed their life or changed an aspect of their life. Because sometimes I have the opposite issue where I just think like, wow, nothing I do matters. Nobody is being helped. I'm just like this overly confident person on the internet just talking. And then I go back to that folder and I'm like, no. And I give my brain that opposite evidence to prove it wrong because that is wrong. I don't like, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I try my best. And so I, I hope that makes sense. I know I just kind of went everywhere with that answer, but I hope that makes sense. No, you know, and I just want people to know that, you know, you are in the top five podcasts that I listen to every episode and have been since you started your podcast, even though I'm not a millennial, I'm just an old man, but um, I'm learning a lot. And the reason why is because the people that I listen most to are you, Gary, and Ed Milet. Mm. Because the three of you guys are, will, are willing to know what you'll tell people. Listen, I'm hurting and I'm having a bad day. And you actually pull back the veil mm. to where a lot of people that are on social media, you know, they only take the pictures with the filters that look good. You know, but they don't they won't tell people that they're hurting. And I think that's what makes you guys, you, Gary and Ed, more um, relatable. Mm -hmm. So now talk about talk about your book. I want to talk about your book because I bought your book and I devoured it twice. Nice. read it twice. Even though I'm 80 percent blind. It took mm -hmm. me a long time. To oh, read wow. it, but I read it. And tell us talk to us about your podcast because I love your podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I, I again I appreciate you creating this platform and creating it. And you know, to address something you said, and I, you know, I've had Ed my light on my podcast. For me, Richard, I live this life now because I lived 10 years of my life where literally my brain made me hide against everybody. And so I have lived and have very directly seen the negative consequences and the very serious consequences of not being yourself and not speaking your truth. And so 
now that I'm like that, I just do this every single day and it's just who I am. And it's really just become a muscle. It went from my greatest weakness to now it's, it's my superpowers. Like someone like you, you know, listening to my podcast and reading my book twice, I'm honored. And so Richard, I wrote my book, Screw Being Shy, because in 2019, I went on this book, not book tour. (laughs) I went on this tour where I basically went around America and I spoke in the biggest cities in America. And so I spoke all over the place. And, you know, some of these conferences, they were kind of like half of them were about like entrepreneurship and business. The other half were about sort of like, uh, you know, self-care, mental health, high performance mindset, things like that. And so what I realized, Richard, is that whenever I would sort of speak about my story in every single one of these cities. And then after I would speak, you know, there would usually be like some sort of a line of people who would try to come talk to me after, take a picture, ask me a question, something like that. And Richard, in every single city, every single one that I went to, at least one person at every single one of these events would walk up to me and Maybe they would look down. Maybe they would be shaking a little bit. Maybe they, whenever they would talk, they would stutter or their voice would shake. Maybe they wouldn't make direct eye contact with me. And they would literally ask me the same exact question. And they would say, hey, Mark, how did you go from somebody who you described as having severe social anxiety, never being able to speak their whole life to like going on a stage and speaking about like your your life story that's very intimate and vulnerable in front of hundreds or a thousand people. And they would ask me that every single time. And, you know, previously up to that point, you know, I was doing my podcast. I spoke about my, you know, I was just starting to speak about myself really. And so I realized in that moment of like, wow, that's a younger version of myself walking up to me. And asking me this question that I wish I could have asked when I was younger. And so basically I was like, this problem, social anxiety, this is something that I shouldn't overlook. This is not something that I should just brush off because I had to go down to the depths of my mind and the darkness and like literally reverse engineer my entire brain and really do so much work that I still even continue to do to this day. And I have understood this from living it for 10 years inside out, inside of myself. And I also do the research. I I learn from people who are smarter than me, people who are neuroscientists, psychologists that have researched this stuff and and understand and how it affects populations across societies in the world. And so I was like, I need to write a book, but I didn't just want to write a book. The reason why I specifically wrote it is because like I had told you, when I was 18, I, I tried to kill myself. And, you know, going back to what you said about Robin Williams, there are people, especially those with social anxiety. I don't know if Robin Williams had social anxiety, but it is hard enough for the average person to speak up about their mental health issues. It is even harder for someone who happens to have social anxiety, which is a mental health issue that convinces you to not speak up around the world. And then you look at, okay, how is our society dealing with these problems? Well, you know, they say go to a doctor, go see a therapist, or worst case scenario, call the suicide hotline. And those are all great. But I thought to myself, like, hey, when I was in my darkest time, I didn't go see a doctor. I didn't go see a therapist. I didn't go call a suicide hotline. And so I'm like, 
man, maybe there are millions of people out there who experience social anxiety, who may know it, who may not know it, who experience this sort of dark downward spiral of their brain break, breaking basically and becoming suicidal and not knowing how to speak about it, not because they don't want to, but because their brain is literally holding them back. And so I said, what kind of a book could I write that someone could order from their home or they could listen to on Audible via audiobook where they can start taking the first steps possible to improve their mental health a little bit more so that they, you know, if it's, if they choose to, can go see a doctor, therapist, or, or call someone. And so that's really why I wrote my book, man. I, I really had to, and I really just had to get this part of me because this issue, and, and like I just did a TEDx talk a couple of weeks ago, and the title of the TEDx talk is called The Invisible Problem That Stops People From Being Themselves. And what I learned is there's millions of people that are experiencing this problem right now but they don't know it or they don't have the solutions and the pathway to do it. And oftentimes what happens is they try their best. They quote unquote work hard. But the reality is, is mental health and social anxiety, you can't brute force it. The mind is naturally closed. You can't just ram it open. And so a lot of the times people who have this anxiety, they work very hard, but because they don't learn about different strategies, tools that actually work, they often just try doing the same thing over and over again. And every time they do it, their brain sends them a message that says, hey, you suck. You failed at that. You're never going to be able to do this. You should just lose all hope. You should just lose, lose all faith and meaning for life itself. And this begins this terrible spiral. And so I thought that, hey, if I could just write a book that could even contain 10% of that, maybe I, I, you know, I can save one person's life at, at, at least. And so, yeah, man, that's why I wrote the book and I'm glad that you read it twice. It, it's very, I'm honored. It means, you know, because I, you know, like I said, I'm very humble and I'm very teachable and, you know, I'm willing to learn. And I think I, sometimes when people get to a certain age, they think, you know, I got all the answers and, you know, sometimes, you know, like the great actor Roddy Piper once said that um, just when you think you have all the answers, life changes the question. <laughs> so sometimes you, know, you have to become very teachable. So talk about, about your podcast. Cause I love your podcast. Um, what was it like when you first started recording your podcast? What was the thought process? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I started my podcast in like 2017 and so I was, so I was suicidal. I hit my dark period at the end of 2015, 2016. I was really trying to spend that on developing myself, working on myself. And by the middle of 2017, Richard, I was like, man, this whole path that I'm on, it's, it's great. And it's very rewarding for sure, but it's also extremely difficult. And so I was just in a spot where um, you know, I had issues. I still had issues with my health. I had issues with my business. I had all kinds of issues and I, and I really felt stuck. And I was like, what can I do to what you sort of said of like, what can I do to immerse myself so that I'm constantly learning? I'm constantly growing. And so what I did was like, what if I start some sort of a, a, a podcast and at this time I was 20 years old, right? And so I was like, 
I have to start something public like a podcast because if I reach out to somebody who you know is an acclaimed neuroscientist or is a top author, and I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm some 20 year old. Can you talk to me on the phone? I was thinking like, man, they probably wouldn't wouldn't have said yes. They probably they probably got other other better things to do. And so I was like, what can I do? to almost like start my own like education system. What can I do to start like my own self-development system to where, Hey, if I'm interested in learning about a new skill that I want to pick up, for example, like meditation, who are the top 10 meditation experts and teachers in the world that I can reach out to. And then I can talk to, and I can just directly ask them questions and say like, Hey, how do I do this? Hey, I tried to do this, but I didn't do a good job out of it. What do I do? And so I think now I have like almost over 600 episodes on my podcast. And when I look back, every single one of those people, for the most part, literally taught me such an important, you know, role. For example, and, you know, Ed Milet being one of them, you know, Ed Milet taught me one of the greatest gifts that you can give people is helping to expose them to their own gifts that they not that they may not be aware of because Ed Milet did that to me. And now I can do that to other people. And I can see like a look on their face, like a spark in their eyes when I am able to successfully do that. And so really for me, my podcast, like I, I just started it as like the most selfish, uh, you know, education tool for myself so that I can, I can improve and, and do the things that I want to do and constantly surround myself with, with, with mentors and people that can teach me things and people that I can ask questions for. Um, and so, yeah, man, I mean, the podcast really changed my life inside out. And I'm so grateful. And you know what I'm seeing, you know, cause now I'm doing a deep dive on podcasts cause I, I want to learn to, you know, to, to be the best that mm-hmm. I can be. And, and I'm finding out, you know, that the average podcast only lasts eight episodes mm-hmm. and then people quit. And because people don't realize that it's work, mm. <laughs> you know, you have to work and, you know, so now what do you say to the new podcaster, you know, kind of like myself that, you know, you get stressed out about numbers, you get stressed out about finding guests. How do you talk to, you know, cause I'm sure people you get these questions all the time, you know, because sometimes you're looking at all your downloads, you're looking at, you know, what guests can I get on? So how do you, um, talk because i know this is what you do in your business so give us a little glimpse of what yeah. people can do when they work with you yeah so you know really i think the biggest thing that i could say here on this podcast is you cannot start your podcast from the perspective of um like hey i'm gonna build an audience and it's gonna make me money um and so what i mean is like you have to have an intrinsic selfish reason for doing your podcast like that's honestly what i've learned in the most successful podcasters they do it usually for part selfish and then part selfless experience because i know for me like i've been a marketer for the last like decade and i know exactly what you're talking about like once i see a number my brain will obsess over that and i'll check that like a hundred times during the day and i'll like be in the bathroom and and i'll check my podcast downloads But honestly, what I realized is that every time I saw that number, it didn't really represent much. And what do I mean by that is like, if like some people, if you're bummed that there's only, you know, I don't know how many listeners you get, but like, if you're only bummed that there's only a hundred people that listen to each episode of your podcast, 
the reality is, is that you're probably not going to stick it out to have any bigger of an audience if you are bummed by just the hundred people. And what I mean by that is you have to have, again, a selfish, intrinsic, motivational reason for doing it. It could be, hey, I need to learn about this stuff myself. Hey, let me try to network um, you know, and, and meet new people, whether that's for my business or, or for different people that I want to help. You have to have part selfish and then you have to have part selfless. And that comes to like, what movement do I want to start? That's really the question. It's what kind of movement can this podcast really symbolize? And I know, I remember for me, one of the biggest things that I learned was, I remember when I got on LinkedIn, like for the first time in 2017, I was one of the first people who started to talk about mental health. And I remember before then, it was a very like professional network and people would just talk about resumes and all this stuff. But then all of a sudden I started to bring it and say like, Hey, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee or whoever, we need to start looking at mental health. It's a serious example because of X, Y, and Z. And so I, I talked to a lot of people today who originally found out about me from LinkedIn who say like, Hey, I really found out about you because of like this whole sort of mental health movement that you're trying to start that is really a symbol for each person in their individual lives to look up at something and be like, you know what? I'm not alone. I'm not the only person doing this. There are hundreds of thousands of people like me. And then they tune into your show and they listen. And, and so, yeah, I hope that makes sense. It's part of it is selfish. Part of it has to do with what are you intrinsically doing the podcast for, even if nobody listened to it. And the other half of that is what is the selfless component of how do you turn your podcast from just some random show into a symbol into people's lives, into a movement that people can think about even when they're not listening to your podcast. If you can get both of those things too, right? And again, this is a dance. It's similar to what you said. Once you figure out the answers of life, the questions change. I, I love that quote. It's sort of a similar thing, but those two halves of the equation that's the biggest thing that I can say to people, if that makes sense, Richard. Okay, you know, and I love that. Now, you know, I, I've had a lot of guests, and thank I'm so blessed and grateful. You know, everything I do is just so I can help save lives. It's never about me. It's always about the guest. But now, I'm sure that there's certain shows that you've been on that you don't even share that you've been yeah. on. And then there are certain shows that you do mm. share because it touched something inside of you. Like I was on Mr. Steve, I mean, Steve Sims was on nice. my show. And, and because I didn't talk about everything that everybody else talked about. And I talked about him as a little 16 year old guy laying bricks <laughs> and you know, talking about his, his being with his bride since he's 17 years old, he shared that episode. So what makes it where you want to share an episode that you've mm, been on? Uh, excellent question. So number one, is in terms of like a media asset. So some people will send me like a video or like a picture of the podcast. What I would say is number one, that has to look professional. No one is going to share your podcast. If your, uh, you know, art for your podcast or the episode or whatever you're using to market it, if you are looks unprofessional, it has to be done neat. It has to be clean. It has to be modern. Even yet, even better is if you, can match the other person's branding, right? And so, for example, I had when I had Ed Milet on my podcast, um, you know, he has a huge Instagram following, millions of people. And so, I had my team work really diligently 
and be like, hey, how can we not necessarily copy, but how can we copy like his whole look and the design of like his whole max out the black and the red color scheme? How can we create a media asset that looks just like it would fit in line so they could easily, very easily share it on their social media without resistance? And so that's one. Um, the second thing is, yeah, I mean, it has to do with 100% the podcast host. I mean, I go on, I've been on 250 podcast episodes. Not all of them have been great. You know, I, I, different hosts have invited me. And like, fi- like literally, I, I one time was on this podcast when I was promoting my book last year. And uh, literally five seconds before we hit record, the podcast host is like, wait, what do you do again? And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> well, that, it's probably not going to end up for the best episode. And they just sort of, they like ask you, these generic half baked questions that don't even like make sense if they actually understood who I was and what I care about the most. And so I think if you can do both of those things, and then I think as a host, how you do that is you listen to their other interviews. You listen, you pay attention to their social media. You see what they're tweeting, what they're putting on their Instagram story. You see what they're the most passionate about. And then and then the last thing, I mean, this doesn't even have to do with how do you get someone to share it, but how do you do that as a podcast host? Uh, like for someone who's interviewed hundreds of people, my best advice would be to ask them. So what I do, for example, on my podcast is before we start, before we hit record, I say, you know, hey, like if I was interviewing you, hey, Richard, um, you know, first off, obviously, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I'm really, you know, honored to have you. You know, I've been reading your book or I've watched your TEDx talk or whatever, sort of sending them the signs that you know who they are. And then what I say to the people is, um, you know, uh, is there anything in your mind, whether that is something specifically or just sort of an intention that you want to share that is the most meaningful to you right now that would be the most important for my audience to hear. And when when a podcast guest listens to that, they're like, oh, oh, oh my God, like Richard is a, is a real podcast host. And I've interviewed people who have told me like, hey, Mark, I've been interviewed by Forbes five times and they've never asked me that question. And that question is so important to ask because number one, Usually if it's obviously if it's a virtual or even in person in an interview, you have no idea what they were doing before they logged into the Zoom or the podcast. And so for all you know, they could have just been in a very, very stressful business board meeting, right? Where they're talking about firing people. And then all of a sudden they jump on your podcast and their mind is sort of like discombobulated. And so what I've found is when you can ask them that question of like, before you hit record, hey, is there anything in your mind that you would really love to share either specifically or just sort of an intention that I can know as a host so that I can help us translate that and really sort of set the state of mind for what we're going to be talking about and what we're going to be doing for the next you know, hour or 45 minutes or however long you're recording. And so I find that if you can do that as a podcast host, that will get your guests to tell you or to at least emotionally understand that you actually care about them. And like Richard, I, uh, you know, when my book came out last year and in March, like literally the day everything shut down in COVID, I went on this whole PR, you know, advertising spree where I went on every single podcast. And one of the biggest like unmotivating things that I've learned is that when you're in that spot, people will treat you like an object. 
people just because they're interviewing you and they think like you're some god or some leader they will treat you like an object they'll say oh you know oh my god thank you so much for for coming on and all this stuff and they and they idolize that person when in reality if you can realize that's a normal person and they have normal feelings and normal thoughts then you will go down or you will go up to their level as a human and that's where you can actually see them and then ask the right questions and so I know that was a very long-winded response, but I hope that makes sense. No, I love it because I'm going to ask you to do something in a minute sure. that I'm going to take out of Ed Milet's playbook um, because, you know, I've been listening to him and you since you guys first started. And that's why I've, I've, I've learned a lot. And um, now, now, like, since we've talked today, you know, for me, relationships are everything in life. Um, and, like, I, I believe that our relationship starts from today into the future. So can you talk about building relationships on and offline? And because it seems like once you start moving in different circles is, is, is when you start actually building more and more relationships. So can you talk about relationship capital real quick? And, but just keep this in mind. Now I'm going to, cause you, you dropped something, I guess it was about five, seven days ago. You said you were changing your game up. So I'm going to give you, 18 minutes, just like a TEDx speak, it's going to be a, a Mark X speak. And I want you to talk about that one thing that you said you're going to drop that was going to change the world. But so talk about relationship capitals before we go on that Mark X. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, what I would say is this. Um, so I meet a lot of people online, offline. And honestly, what I would say is I think a lot of people over strategize and overthink this and a lot of people they just approach people online on social media and then like you know social media helps us dehumanize people right like we everybody's broken down into a little circle with an image and you know different colored pixels and a name that they see on their phone and i say that because i think a lot of people when they go to network and build relationships they always think about it so strategically they're always what can I get out of this other person? What can I, you know, how can they help me? And honestly, personally for me, when I think that way, that's like the worst thing I could possibly do. And what I've learned that works best is like as cliche as this sounds, if you can show up to every single call in the present moment and truly listen to someone and truly create the environment to be yourself, number one, you give that other person permission to be themselves as well. And what I've learned is this, like if you approach someone on LinkedIn or whoever, and it's from this overly strategic response of how can they help me? What can I get out of it? But then you are not focused on, hey, how can I make sure that this person actually knows who I am as a human? then what's going to happen is that person is just going to forget about you. Like nobody cares about someone who is overly strategizing, overly kind of seems sketchy, manipulative. And I've run across people like that all the time. And I don't know if they're aware of that or not, but here's the thing. If you can create the right daily habits in your life to be alive in the present moment. And what I mean is like when you're in a conversation with someone you're truly listening to them. Your brain isn't thinking about what you're going to say next. You're not thinking about you know something else that's happening. You're not checking your email. But when you're truly in the present moment and you are yourself, 
what's going to happen is that person is actually going to remember you. They're going to be like, wow, like I actually remember this person. Like I, I talked to him three years ago and they're going to keep you in mind. And honestly, that is how I have gotten so many amazing opportunities from in getting invited to do my first talk, to getting invited to do my TEDx talk, to being invited to do a documentary. It literally all came from people reaching out to me and me just showing up in myself and not overthinking and being like, if I say this, then I can over strategize and they can do this. No, like, I, that's not the way I think. And some people think like that. That's fine. Personally, I can't do that because one, it makes me feel like um, you know a scumbag and it makes me feel just not real. And I know it doesn't actually bring the best kind of results. And this is true for online. This is true for offline. Like for example, um, you know, I would go to these networking events, Richard, and I, you know, obviously I'm very young. And so someone would walk up to me with like a suit and they would basically treat me like as if I was like a little kid, even though I was speaking at that event. And I would notice how they would speak to me and they would talk to me for like two minutes. And then they would basically just walk away from me because they're like, okay, I can't get the value that I want. I can't pitch this person for my business. And again, I mean, maybe in some context, that's fine. But that's just not how I want to treat people because people really do remember how you treated them. Like there's there's people who sometimes message me on LinkedIn or leave a random like LinkedIn comment and they're like, Mark, I met you in 2018 in New York City and your event finished and you were leaving in an Uber and I asked you a question and you got out of the Uber to answer my question and I'm never going to forget that. And so for me... That is what I'm looking for because when it comes to relationships, personally for me, what I'm trying to do is, of course, I'm trying to introduce people to the right people. I'm trying to introduce people to the right opportunities. But for me, like one of the biggest reasons why I'm on LinkedIn and why why I do everything I do is because I'm trying to find and help and connect the leaders of the future. I realize that when I look at the problems of the world, they're extremely complex and they require many different kinds of people in different fields getting together and combining their minds together to create solutions that work, not just for one person, but work for many people. And so that for me is like a, a meta goal that I've been doing of like, whether I can connect Ed Milet to this person in the future and really just know all the leaders who are going to be creating the future and then help them in any possible way. That for me is my mindset that really helps me when it comes to relationships. And then also the other thing too, is like, I have a, um, I have a timer that goes off every single day on my phone. I actually have multiple timers that go off every day on my phone. Um, that start from 10, 10 AM to 11, 11 AM to 12, 12 PM. And like, for example, I have one every day that goes off at 1, 1 PM that says, text somebody, reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. And so part of it is mindset. And the other part of it is like, what are daily simple habits that you can sort of systematize into your life to make sure that you are constantly taking action and you don't just know this stuff or you don't just think about it, but you're actually doing it on a daily or regular basis. You know, I love that. And like one thing that Gary always said, you know, he says this one thing that COVID, a lot of people got found mm. out. Oh, yeah. They weren't. They weren't the same person on social that they are in real life. Where me, I'm the same goofy <laughs> guy. Where if we ever meet up, you're going to get a hug. Yeah. That's the kind of guy that I am. Uh, 
So now tell us about this big thing you were talking about, and I'm going to give you the whole floor to talk about. You you said it was going to change the game. You put it out about a week ago, and I couldn't wait to, to ask you about it. So what is that one thing you're going to start doing that's changing the game? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, honestly, it's two things. So one is – so I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Um I mean, I've made millions of dollars in the process, but honestly, man, like maybe up until like a month ago, and I've been thinking about this for months and months now. Um, so basically what I've done, man, is I've stepped down from my company and really what I'm doing is I'm going full time into this mental health, trying to coach people with anxiety because I genuinely think that's where my purpose is and that's what makes me feel the most alive. And that's where I honestly think I can make the biggest difference in people's lives. And the second thing, is, um, you know, I was invited to do a TEDx talk all about this social anxiety stuff. And, uh, and the title of the TEDx talk, I actually don't think it's out on YouTube now. They're still trying to process it, but it's called the invisible problem that stops people around the world from being themselves. And it's all about social anxiety and it's all about, um, you know, mental health. And, um, and it's really like a really interesting way that I think our society is going to start looking at introversion, at just being sort of a a shy kid from a different perspective, that's going to be more helpful for people. Um, And so that's that. But I mean, one thing that I actually do want to mention that I didn't get a chance to. So when you invited me on your podcast, um, I think I've been on a couple podcasts that are sort of, um, you know, based in like, you know, military veterans. But one thing that I wanted to specifically mention was that small habits go a long way. And I wanted to mention a specific scientific study. I don't know if you're aware of it. It was done by the Department of Justice. And what they did was they took the suicide deaths of active duty U.S. military personnel who, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, end in their life. And here's the craziest thing that they found, uh, Richard, that I just have to share because this is a small thing that could literally change someone's entire life. They found that uh, in our brains – Um, when it comes to like us eating food and whatnot, we have uh, an essential nutrient. And basically what that means is that your body cannot produce this on its own. You have to eat this nutrient for your brain to have it. And those are omega-3 essential fatty acids. And in this study that was done by the Department of Justice um, in 2011, I have it right in front of me, They found that in the military personnel who their brains were deficient in omega-3 essential fatty acids, their risk of suicide was 62% greater. And so I just wanted to mention that because a lot of us who are facing these problems and don't want to talk about them, obviously these problems are not as simple as they sound, but a lot of these problems have to do with how our brain functions and the underlying science and the mechanisms of how our brain works that we haven't been taught. And so something just as simple as eating omega-3 essential fatty acids, especially for military veterans, 67% increase in suicide. And like, if you don't know what, what kinds of foods, um, you know, are in, um, uh, you know, are, are, are found in omega-3 fatty acids, that's basically um, uh, a fish, uh, different like nuts and seeds, avocados, things like that. And so a lot of people, you know, don't really eat that in their diet. There's different supplements and whatnot. But I just wanted to mention that because that's the first thing that came to mind when you invited me on this podcast of like one thing that I can share 
uh, that can really, if people don't know about this already, this could literally change your life. And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify and say, hey, just take this supplement or just eat this food and your life will be better. But literally, Department of Justice study found that 67% increase in suicide in people, especially military personnel that had a deficiency in this omega-3 essential fatty acid. And so I hope that's helpful. I hope you share that with someone because it, it really can save a life, something as simple as that. And that's something that I take. Now, I was in the health and fitness industry for over 32 years, and that's something that I take that. I take turmeric every day for inflammation. Mm. So, you know, and I totally get that. So how can we work together? Because, you know, I'm very, I have a, a very big influence in the military community. Mm. How can we work together in order to help, you know, because a lot of people hear the number 22 a day. But the real numbers are that on average, 35 first responders, including 22 veterans and two active duty soldiers, and this is including police officers and firefighters, commit suicide every day. So that's 35 a day. But also because something like because, you know, I, I believe that you care, you, you love helping people that most people don't realize that every 11 minutes in the United States, somebody overdoses from opioids every day in the United States. So I would love some way that we can actually work together to actually help reduce these numbers down to zero, if that's even possible, you know? Yeah, man. And, 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 um, you know, I'm always trying to work about this too. And I have, I have friends of mine, for example, who are doctors that, um, that work in the, in the VA. And I know different like leaders, uh, leaders who run different nonprofits, um, so honestly, I'm trying to find out that answer every single day. But one thing, for example, is like I have, I'm like, I'm currently in the middle of actually switching and transitioning my entire podcast. And it's literally just going to be about anxiety and social anxiety. And one of the things that I want to do is uh, not so much interview people, but what I want to do is I want to have different kinds of people come on my show, whether that is publicly or even anonymously, if they don't want to know who their name. And I just want people of different backgrounds, different experiences to share. And really what I want to do is I want to create a library, uh, a database, I would even say, of literally hundreds of people's different stories, whether you've been in the military, whether you've you know, had a parent who did this, whether you look this certain way, whether you believe in these certain things. I want to have and create as many examples to people as possible. And so definitely, um, you know, when it comes to that, I'll obviously I'll, I'll definitely, um, you know, invite you. And, and yeah, that's really what I'm trying to do personally myself. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, but uh, I think that's one of the biggest things. And again, like I think a lot of people uh, have just been taught that they're not disciplined enough or they don't work hard enough. Um, and I just couldn't disagree with that more because I've literally met, man, so many people who are very disciplined, who work very hard. They're not lazy. They don't just sit around and they can't help themselves with their mental health problems because they lack the awareness. They lack the tools. They lack the strategies. And so for me, like as an individual, I'm trying to help other individuals out there when it comes to the tools and strategies and then I've also, you know, been trying to go into different companies and organizations that have like tens of thousands of employees 
and distributing the information through that way. I think that's actually one of the biggest things. I think when you look at it, the biggest corporations in, in like America that have the most power, the most money, the most people working for them, I actually believe that like we have to use them as, as vehicles as almost Trojan horses to teach like millions of employees meet, teach so many people and how to do these things. And so again, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm all down to have a conversation about it and listen to you, but those are some things that come to mind. Okay. So last two questions. I know you have a very important day. You got a lot of stuff going on. I get to spend time with my nine-year-old daughter. I'm truly blessed. Um, so Amazing. how do people find you? I mean, how can we, how can we find your book? How can we find your podcast and what you're doing now? Yeah. So the best way is if you go to my website, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com, there will be like this uh, email box. And basically what you do is if you put your email in there, you will be put on my email newsletter, which basically every time I write something that is always educational, I don't, I don't use it to market things. I will always write something that's educational maybe a few times a week. You'll get that every single time. And if you and if you get one of those from me and you, you know, you like it, you're interested in it, you can just respond directly to that email and it'll go directly to me. And so if you have any questions or anything like that, that's the best way to get in contact with me to check out the book, the podcast, to reach out to me if you have any questions. That's the best way. My website, which is just my first and last name.com. I love that. Last question that I ask everybody, because I, I ask a hundred people and I get a hundred different answers. You know that we're living in a crazy world, COVID. You know, we've got mm-hmm. parents and got grandparents that are homeschooling kids, got parents just trying to put food on the table. So if you ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're probably never going to get to it. But if I ask a person to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. So if you know somebody that's struggling with their mental health, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get help? Uh, Two things. Um, Well, same thing. Uh, What I would say is look at your diet. And what I mean by that is your mental diet and your literal diet. And so what I would say is like literally right now, Go to your social media, go to whichever apps that you check the most, whether that's Instagram or Facebook, and literally just unfollow everybody who doesn't add anything great or useful to your life, okay? So you can literally, whether that's right now, or you can go on your phone and and schedule this in your calendar 30 minutes from now or whatever, do that. And then number two, look at your diet. I'm not telling you to do some crazy changes, but just look at your diet and look at like, what what are the evidence-based approaches that I can take that have been proven for you know mental health? And all I'll say is like I don't I personally don't believe in such thing as a universal healthy diet that works for everybody. But what I would say is that um, you know I'm not I'm not here to demonize different food groups. I don't really believe in that. But what I would say is look at the food group that humans have created over the last seventy five hundred years which is basically processed foods. There are some processed foods that are not as bad and some that are better than others. But what I would say is when you look at processed foods and you look at the different chemicals and ingredients that are being put in these foods, then what I want you to do is go, for example, and look at the European Union. And what you'll realize is that if one company, if one food manufacturer, they make a a famous bag of chips, 
they'll make one version bag of chips in America and they'll make a different version of bag of chips in Europe because in the European Union, their version of the FDA has banned hundreds of ingredients and dyes that have been proven to show various health problems in children to different things like cancer. Whereas in America, there's there's nothing like that. And so what I would say is look at your diet and don't be an experiment from the food system that isn't even proven. And so again, look at your diet from what you're doing, what you're looking at. So if that's social media, unfollow people who, who don't add to your life. If that's your literal food diet, try to learn more, try to get curious about it, trying to see, hey, how do I feel if I eat this food? What are the things that I can learn? And I promise you those two things when it comes to your mental health, those two things are going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Mark, I just want to thank you for spending time with me today, brother. Um, I truly appreciate it. And, um, you know, now that we've talked, I consider you a friend and a family member. And if there's yeah. anything I can ever do to help support your mission, especially in the mental health circle, it would be my honor right. to be able to help as many people as I can. Thank you, brother. And I'll, I'll definitely keep in mind. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm your friend too, man. And you're, you're in New York City? Um, yeah, I'm in Jersey. I'm right by Giant Stadium. Oh, nice, man. Yeah, my uh, my my girlfriend lives right by there, so I'm I'm actually going there tomorrow. So so I'm there all the time, man. So uh, I'm sure that we'll definitely um, touch paths. And I appreciate all the work that you have been doing for the military community community and, and other things that you're doing as well, man. Because you're gonna be at a time, you know, one day at the end of your life, and you're gonna be like, oh my god, look at all these people that I've helped. Like, look what I've done. And even if you can't see that right now. Just know that that that's your future, man. And so keep doing it. If I can support you in any possible way, never hesitate to reach out to me anytime for any And I know you get a lot of connection requests, so I just want to say thank you for accepting mine. <laughs> of course, man. I, I'm so glad, man. If I didn't, if I didn't, where would I be? I wouldn't be on this podcast, man. And for all I know, someone is going to listen to this podcast that is going to be worth it for them in their lives, man. So I, it's, it's thank you for, for accepting for thank you for sending me the connection. All right, brother. Well, God bless you and have a beautiful week. Safe travels. Yeah. You too. Have fun with your daughter, man. I, I love that. All right, brother. Keep going. man. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care, man. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.